0: was given on May 18th of 2010 by Thomas W. Sederberg, then the Associate Dean of the BYU College of Physical and Mathematical Sciences.
1: One of my poignant memories as a BYU student involved computers and romance. Back then there were only a few computers on campus, and each had a printer that used wide sheets of paper connected by perforations. These printers could create banners whose large letters were made up of lots of normal-sized letters. I was dating someone who I really liked, so I printed a banner with the words, I love you. At the end end of our fourth date, I handed her the folded-up banner, hoping that the large letters would convey the magnitude of my feelings and that she would be impressed by the technology. (laughs) Unfortunately, I could tell from her countenance as she unfolded my gift that the feeling was not yet mutual. (laughs) I stood there completely vulnerable, and we were both embarrassed. But I have never forgotten her kind response that shifted the focus from the message to the medium. She said in a pleasant voice, Well, what have we here? <laughs> I share that as background for another experience I had as a BYU student in this room, the Young Concert Hall. The occasion was a lecture on computer graphics given by Dr. Hank Christensen of the BYU Civil Engineering Department. It was 1974, several years before video games, Star Wars, and personal computers. One of the few things I knew of that might be called computer graphics was the I Love You banner technology, because I had also seen low-quality pictures made that way. As I took a seat for the lecture, I wondered what could possibly be that interesting about this technology, but maybe I could at least get a few pointers. You of the video game generation can't possibly appreciate my utter astonishment when Dr. Christensen showed pictures like this. It was my first exposure to 3D computer graphics. I wondered, what have we here? <laughs> how did Dr. Christensen make that? Well, let me explain how. When he joined the BYU Civil Engineering faculty in 1965, Hank was one of a handful of experts in the world at using computers to solve engineering problems. In 1968, the Department of Computer Science at the University of Utah was becoming the world's leading research center for computer graphics, a distinction it held for the next ten years. Because of Hank's background, he was invited to participate. The technology was primitive. There were no computer screens on which to view the pictures, instead they were produced on photographic film, taking about four minutes to expose a color image, and nothing could be seen until the film was developed. Even so, Hank recognized immediately the potential of this new technology to display the results of his computerized engineering, as illustrated in these pictures that he made starting in 1969. He is credited with the first such use of 3D computer graphics. Today it is part of every computer-aided design system. In 1976, Hank introduced the world's first commercially available software for 3D continuous tone computer graphics. He named it Movie BYU because it could make movies like this. He sold about 4,000 copies of Movie BYU from the BYU Civil Engineering Department. Hank also gave hundreds of lectures on computer graphics in the 1970s in over a dozen countries, giving thousands of people like me their first exposure to this exciting technology. I was so spellbound when I attended Hank's lecture that I enrolled in one of his classes, hoping to impress him enough that he would agree to serve as my master's thesis advisor, which he did. Having someone of Hank's stature as my mentor has had a huge impact on my career. As I contemplated what I could share today that would be of greatest value to you students, I chose the theme of undergraduate mentoring, by which I mean students working closely with a professor or staff member on a substantial project outside of the classroom. Many potential benefits can arise from a mentored learning experience, such as greater depth of learning, academic maturity, and self-confidence. There are also practical benefits, for example, When the time comes for you to seek letters of recommendation, a professor who has mentored you will be in a better position to write such a letter. I will now tell you about four mentored projects in which undergraduate students have played an integral part. I will then conclude with some reflections on mentoring. My first example is a research project on automatic image morphing, as illustrated here. A key concept in image morphing is interpolation. Let's review what that means. Here we see two points whose Cartesian coordinates are 1, 2, and 7, 5. We can interpolate between these two points to find the coordinates of any other point on the line connecting them. Here's a math question for you What are the coordinates of the point that's a third of the way between them? I'll give you a minute to think about that. Uh, President Samuelson. Nice to see you. (laughs) Do you have the answer?
0: Three three.
1: Exactly, three three is right. (laughs) (laughs) In computer graphics, colors are represented using three numbers signifying amounts of red, green, and blue. For example, the the, uh, color 100 is pure red, green is 010, and so forth. We can also interpolate between colors by representing the red, green, and blue components. For example, here is 100 red on the left, 110 yellow on the right, and in the middle, halfway between, is the orange, zero. Things get interesting when we interpolate between colors and positions at the same time. This picture shows an orange triangle that is obtained by interpolating the color and vertices of a red triangle and a yellow triangle. We perform an image morph by superimposing grids of triangles on the two pictures we wish to morph. The triangles are positioned such that each triangle in one image corresponds to a triangle in the other image. The three yellow lines point to three pairs of corresponding triangles. Of course, the hard part is to write a computer program that will automatically find the grids of corresponding triangles, which is something that two undergraduate students on our team did several years ago. When we then interpolate between the color and position of all pairs of corresponding triangles simultaneously, we obtain the image morph. There are lots of applications for image morphing. You may have seen it used in movie special effects. It can also dramatically show how an infant girl grows into a beautiful young bride more quickly than her parents thought possible. (laughs) This example gave us a research idea. Morphine interpolates back and forth between two (laughs) images. We wondered what would happen if you just let the morph algorithm keep running. Could it extrapolate what I will look like in the future? Well, we ran the experiment, and here is the startling result. (laughs) 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 Well, with that research success behind us, We explored other applications for for image morphine. Someone wondered if it might be useful for separated-at-birth studies, and we found this possibility. (laughs) 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 And just yesterday, someone at Costco told me I looked like Mr. Bean. While it is unlikely that there are a pair of twins in this room who don't know each other, I am certain that many of you do have a second cousin in this room that you don't know about. My certainty stems from my experience with the website relativefinder.org, which determines how people are related to each other. Relativefinder.org is my second example of a research project involving undergraduates. Since I didn't know exactly who would attend this lecture, I was not able to enter all of your names into the website beforehand, so I don't know exactly how many pairs of close relatives are present. However, I am almost certain that at least one hundred of you have a second cousin in this room that you don't know about. My confidence is based on the results of numerous relationship studies, such as the following. 182 faculty and staff in the BYU College of Physical and Mathematical Sciences are registered in relativefinder.org. Among them, the website found 32 cases of second cousins plus 166 cases of third cousins. So over one-fifth of them have a, a second cousin in the college, and few of those were aware of each other. The percentages of close cousins in a larger group should be even higher, because if you double the size of a group, the number of cousins will tend to quadruple. This tendency is observed in the statistics for my home stake, for which 730 people are registered in relativefinder.org. That is roughly how many people are present here. Among those 730 people, the website found 664 instances of second cousins and over 2,700 instances of third cousins. I should point out that a large percentage of people in my stake and college come from LDS pioneer stock. I do not, and I have not yet found any relatives in the BYU community other than my own children. Also, many connections are missed by the website due to incomplete data. Nonetheless, probability theory predicts that family trees of any two people of the same nationality are very likely to intertwine within 12 generations, assuming their ancestors moved around. Over a dozen undergraduate students have worked on Relative Finder. Recently one of them came up with the idea of writing a Facebook version. This will make it possible for you to easily find out how you are related to your Facebook friends who also have an an account on New Family Search. If you would like to beta test this new app, visit relativefinder.org. We recognize that Relative Finder does not directly assist in redeeming the dead, but it has been reported to stimulate interest in family history. We used to call it Relationship Finder until somebody pointed out that it sounded like a dating service. (laughs) Unfortunately, the website is not designed to help initiate romantic relationships. However, if you want to enhance an existing relationship, I can recommend that you try an I Love You banner. (laughs) The the gracious young woman I gave my banner to eventually became my wife. We now move to my third Mandarin example, which is a company called T-Splines Incorporated that was founded by several undergraduate students to commercialize some technology developed in a mentoring environment. In order to demonstrate the significance of the T-Splines technology, allow me to share some background. In 1970, computer graphics models were made of triangles and rectangles. To create a model of this car in 1971, These University of Utah students marked it into rectangles and measured the positions of each point, which took months. Here is the resulting computer graphics image. You would probably not want to buy a car that was made from that model. (laughs) Since 1971, a lot of research has focused on improving the quality of geometric models. This teapot was created in 1975 at the University of Utah. It uses a curved surface technology that has become a standard for computer-aided design. Because such models were scarce in the 1970s, the Utah teapot became perhaps the most reused model in computer graphics. The picture on the screen spotlighting the teapot was created by my research group for a 1989 paper. As an insider joke, the Utah teapot made cameo appearances in Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. See if you can find it next time you watch. This type of curved surface model is great to look at, but it has a problem when used for computer-aided design. It leaks, or in other words, there are gaps in the mathematical model. (laughs) This is a problem if you want to do a computerized engineering analysis. Surprisingly, nearly every computer-aided design model for the past thirty years has such leaks. Our research team found a solution to this leaking model problem and we called the resulting technology T-Splines. Here are several watertight models created by artists in less than a day using T-Splines. The the, the team of undergraduate computer science and economics students who commercialized this technology was given impetus from from BYU's Business Plan Competition, an outstanding mentoring opportunity provided by the Marriott School. These entrepreneurs are following the technology transfer tradition that Hank Christensen helped to pioneer with Movie BYU. Technology transfer means to commercialize technology developed at a university, and BYU has a good reputation for it, ranking first nationally in terms of the number of startup companies per million dollars of research funding. My final illustration of mentored work by undergraduate students is BYU's Center for Animation. A beautiful example of interdisciplinary mentoring in which students with talents in art, animation, computer science, and storytelling team up to learn skills in 3D animation. Each year, a team of 25 animation majors and 10 computer science students spends 12 months producing a short film. Any BYU student can pitch a story, and any student can compete for the role of producer. It is a very effective mentoring environment. The students take ownership of the project and learn a lot from each other, while several professors provide individualized training. Ed Catmull, the president of Pixar, is so impressed by BYU's animation program that he sends several Pixar personnel twice each semester to personally mentor the BYU animation team. These annual teams have been extraordinarily successful. Since 2003, their films have won four student academy awards and ten student Emmys. However, animation professor Brent Adams emphasizes that the main product of the Center for Animation is students, not films. Graduates of the program are highly recruited by all of the major studios and are becoming an increasingly strong presence in the animation industry. I would like to thank Professor Adams for permission to now show the 2009 film Kites, winner of a Student Academy Award and a Student Emmy. This is an exceptional product of mentoring. I have described several mentoring projects involving undergraduate students. If you are interested in having a mentorship experience, I encourage you to look at the website for your department and read up on the research interests or creative projects being pursued by the faculty members in your major. Find a few that appeal to you and ask those faculty members how you can get involved. Students are often able to do this as early as their freshman year. About 40% of recent BYU graduates report having had a significant research or creative work experience with a faculty member outside of the classroom. Many of you may not have such an opportunity because some majors are better suited to mentoring than others, and others of you may simply not want to participate, and that's fine. However, there is one mentoring relationship without which your BYU education will not be complete. President Uchtdorf taught, You and I cannot know everything. There is, however, one who does know it all, who understands all, who created all and everything. He is the Father of our spirits, our our Father in heaven. Because He is our Father, He has an intense interest in our education. He knows what we need to learn to fulfill our mission in life. Let us always be His students. Let us always open His textbooks. Let us sit at His feet and learn from Him. A mentor is a wise and trusted counselor or teacher. By that definition, our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus Christ qualify above all others to be called our mentors. They teach and counsel us through the power of the Holy Ghost. I will conclude with some reflections on being mentored by the Holy Ghost in the context of a BYU education. The document titled Aims of a BYU Education states, A shared desire to seek learning even by study and also by faith knits BYU into a unique educational community. Learning by faith is a significant aspect of being mentored by the Holy Ghost. One way we learn by faith is illustrated in an experience I had my freshman year, or my first semester as a BYU student, when I took a class that required me to memorize dozens of scriptures. I bought a used copy of the Book of Mormon, cut out the assigned verses, and glued them to three by five cards, which I carried in my shirt pocket. Every day as I walked between classes, I studied these cards and memorized and pondered the scriptures. I measured my life against the doctrines I pondered, such as faith, charity, and humility, and found much room for growth. The Spirit encouraged me to improve and assured me that I could. It was surprising how walking between classes could be such a spiritually sublime experience as I felt mentored by the Holy Ghost while pondering those scriptures by topic. Some days I could hardly wait for class to end so I could resume pondering those verses. Elder David A. Bednar taught learning by faith requires spiritual, mental, and physical exertion and not just passive reception. It is in the sincerity and consistency of our faith-inspired action that we indicate to our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus Christ our willingness to learn and receive instruction from the Holy Ghost. The learning I am describing reaches far beyond mere cognitive comprehension and the retaining and recalling of information. The type of learning about which I am speaking causes us to put off the natural man, to change our hearts and to be converted unto the Lord, and to never fall away. Learning by faith is the result of the Holy Ghost carrying the power of the word of God both unto and into the heart. In academic mentoring, the degree of the mentor's involvement influences the quality of the learning experience. Too little help can be discouraging and can waste time. Too much help can limit learning and stifle creativity. Professor Brent Adams confirmed my own experience as a mentor that it works best if the professor's hand is on the project as lightly as necessary. The Spirit also mentors us with a light hand. Elder Dallin H. Oaks taught, Revelations from God, the teachings and directions of the Spirit, are not constant. We believe in continuing revelation, not continuous revelation. We are often left to work out problems without the dictation or specific direction of the Spirit. That is part of the experience we must have in mortality. The mentoring help of the Spirit is available in our secular as well as our spiritual learning. I felt impressed to share the following experience that illustrates the principle of light-handed spiritual mentoring of secular subjects. One evening in fall of 2003, I drove to campus for a research meeting with a graduate student from Kyrgyzstan named Almaz and a visiting professor named, from China whose American name is Jimmy. We had been working for several years on a vexing research problem, and I despaired of grappling uh, the problem yet again because of all our past efforts had failed. I was mentally exhausted, and further work on the problem seemed futile. The thought struck me, Have ye inquired of the Lord? When I got to my office, I asked uh, Jimmy and Almaz if they would mind if I began our research meeting with a prayer. They agreed, and I asked Heavenly Father to grant us a clearer understanding. We went to work for several hours and found some fresh ideas. When we concluded, I felt exuberant and remarked that we had made noticeable progress. Jimmy immediately reminded me or Alma's immediately reminded me of course Tom it was the prayer we thus began, agreed to begin each subsequent research meeting with prayer Alma's and Jimmy even took turns even though prayer was not part of their background we continued work for several more weeks and although we felt encouraged we also felt like the solution was still very far away A major breakthrough was needed. Then one day in early December, Jimmy and I were again wrestling with the problem when suddenly the complete solution seemed to flash into my mind. I exclaimed in astonishment, Jimmy, could it be that the answer is far more simple and elegant than we ever dreamed possible? I explained the new idea to Jimmy, and he got excited also. But when we analyzed it, we found a flaw. The mathematics didn't quite work. I was confused and crestfallen, and we abandoned the idea. A month later, I heard a talk by Elder Neal A. Maxwell in which he spoke about personal revelation. He quoted Joseph Smith's statement, a person may profit by noticing the first intimation of the spirit of revelation. For instance, when you feel pure intelligence flowing into you, It may give you sudden strokes of ideas. As soon as I heard that familiar quote, I thought of the experience I had with Jimmy a month earlier. The phrase, pure intelligence flowing into you, seemed to exactly describe what I had felt. Monday morning, I, I went directly to Jimmy's office, told him about Elder Maxwell's talk, and suggested that we revisit the idea within minutes. We saw that with a very minor adjustment, the solution did indeed work. It was breathtakingly beautiful to us and a huge boost to our research. The light-handed nature of the help we received (laughs) is evident in the fact that we spent the next seven years trying to understand the ramifications of that minor adjustment and are only now succeeding. Elder Oaks observed, Reason and revelation are methods of learning that are available to seekers of every type of knowledge. Seekers of secular knowledge who have paid the price in personal effort are often illuminated or magnified by what some call intuition and others recognize as inspiration or revelation. A good research mentor has a keen sense of the most fruitful directions to pursue. Likewise, the Spirit has a perfect knowledge of the best ways for us to invest our time. In 1985, my family bought a first-generation Macintosh computer. I started keeping my personal journal on it using a word processor. Like all word processors, it stored my writings using ones and zeros. Later, word processors interpreted the ones and zeros in a different way, and so last year when I tried to read those old journal entries, I discovered that no existing word processor has the key to unlock their meaning. I felt a great sense of loss and searched for a way to decode these treasured files. Luckily, Wikipedia had an article on this word processor giving the name of the programmer who wrote it. I discovered someone by that name in Facebook and sent him an email (laughs) asking if he knew how to interpret the ones and zeros in my files. I received an email from him a few hours later congratulating me on finding him and pointing me to a website that explained how the ones and zeros were stored. I wrote a simple computer program to decipher the files, and when their contents finally came to view, I felt like I truly found some lost treasures. The first journal entry I decoded told of a stressful Saturday as a young professor when I thought I needed to spend all day at the office working on a problem that was way behind schedule. Sitting in my office, I thought of my family, and the impression came to me to go home and spend the day with them. So I drove home, resolving that I would not think about the problem. We had a fun day, planning purchases for our new house and going to the park. That night, after the children were in bed, the stress-causing problem was quickly solved. I believe it was a consequence of heeding the Spirit. The Spirit is a wise and caring mentor. Like the decoder for my journal entries, the Spirit can reveal treasures of wisdom that would otherwise be hidden from us. The Spirit will lead us to a balanced life. The Spirit will lead us to an abundant life. President James E. Faust taught, I would rather have every person enjoy the Spirit of the Holy Ghost than any other association, for they will be led by that Spirit to light and truth and pure intelligence, which can carry them back into the presence of God. May that mentoring influence be a central part of your BYU education and beyond.
0: You've been listening to the By Study and By Faith podcast